Well, let's open up the sermon today with a little game of who am I? And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe a person and give uh, more and more progressive clues. And if you know who it is, you can shout out who this person is. And whoever guesses it first wins a free download of today's podcast. All right. So uh, here we go. I was born and raised in Antioch, Tennessee. Anybody know who it is? No. All right. I was a 1982 graduate of the College of Business Administration at University of Tennessee, Knoxville, with a degree in finance and real estate. No, Donald Trump. Know who you're voting for. Write that down. At the, <laughs> at the age of 26, I built a real estate portfolio worth more than $4 million only to lose it all and file bankruptcy. Dave, Ra- there you go, Dave Ramsey. And uh, today I have a author, radio host, all those kinds of things. So, hey, raise your hand if you're a part of Ramsey Nation. You're big Dave Ramsey fans. Some of you got an angry look like, I hate that guy, right? Because every time you want to spend money, someone in your house like, now Dave says, like, I don't know who Dave is, but I don't like him. So I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. Uh, I remember this. I remember being in the town mall bookstore. That's back when there were actually stores in the town mall. And seeing and buying a copy of a book called The Total Money Makeover. And I read the whole book in in two days. I was enthralled. I was fascinated. Uh, That book has sold millions and millions of copies, but it actually uh, wasn't the first book. Dave actually wrote a first book called Financial Peace, and later he developed a curriculum. Many of you have been through it uh, called Financial Peace University. And Dave says this. I love this descriptor and walking through. I've read that book so many times. I've led, I don't know how many people through uh, his studies. And Dave says this as a part of it. He's talking about marriage and, and money. And uh, Dave says his experience is that in every household, there is usually one person uh, that is a financial nerd and one person who is a financial free spirit. Raise your hand if you are the financial nerd. Raise your hand. Yeah, look around. These people are boring, all right? All the free spirits are looking around going, losers, right? Raise your hand if you're the free spirit. Yeah, look around. These people are all broke, all right? Now, it's sometimes in a marriage, you, you get to like, raise your hand uh, if you're both, uh, you're in a marriage and you're both free spirits financially, right? Yeah, these people are doubly broke, okay? Now, raise your hand if you're in a marriage and you're both financial nerds. Yeah, go ahead and raise those higher. Keep them up. Because the people before you, they need to know who to ask for money from, all right? Because they're totally broke. And so... Uh, so it is, I'm grateful for Dave's uh, material. I'm, I'm grateful, uh, most importantly, that Dave consistently shares Christ on his platform that he has and talks about everything he learned about money, learned from the scriptures, and is in bold with his faith. And so I am grateful for that. I am a huge, huge, huge Dave Ramsey fan. Now, here's the reality, though. You can be debt-free and still be a financial disaster. Uh, You can earn 12% returns on your mutual funds for decades and still be in financial ruins because at the end of the day, it all depends on your perspective. And some of you are working incredibly hard to climb the ladder of financial success and one day you will sadly discover that the ladder was actually propped up against the wrong wall because you spent all your energies trying to be financially successful when what God wants for you is for you to be financially faithful. 
So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16 for the third message uh, in our Tell Me a Story series through some of Jesus' parables uh, for, for a message titled True Financial Peace. And I want to spend one of the messages in our series dealing with God's perspective as it relates to money uh, for a few different reasons. One, I don't know if you realize this or not, but one-third of all the parables deal with money. One-third of them. So if you read a parable, about every third one is somehow going to talk about handling money. And so, uh, so it's all throughout the parables. Two, uh, it's one of the most difficult areas of the Christian life to master. If I went around this morning and I said, hey, write down for me your greatest struggle in the Christian life. My guess is that some of you, uh, most of you actually, would write down one of three things. Number one, you would write down your prayer life. Uh, there is nothing that the flesh hates more than prayer because it's the flesh always says I can and prayer saying God I can't and so a lot of you would say consistency and depth in my prayer life uh, the second thing that some of you would write down would be sharing your faith consistently uh, we're, we're just not doing a good job in North America at sharing our faith the stats are overwhelmingly tell us that and the third area that many of you would write down is handling money God's way and so some of you are like hey I wrote all three down right and so those are just common areas of the Christian life. And so we need to be talking about those things from a biblical and practical perspective. And lastly, I think, this is just my opinion, I think that handling money is the single most practical way we can live out God's truth on a day-to-day basis. Now, if you've been in ministry, you've been preaching or pastoring, uh, there is in ministry circles what we call as pastors uh, the big three. And the big three are the topics that people in your church would love you to preach on nothing else but these three things. And they are marriage and parenting and finances. And the reality is the reason they're the big three is because that's where most people are living their day-to-day life. They're trying to struggle through a marriage in a God-honoring way. They're trying to raise kids without killing them, all right? They're trying to handle money in a way that doesn't cause stress and honors God and meets their needs and blesses other people. And it's hard to do all of those things. But I would argue of those three, handling money is the most practical. Here's why. You can be single and you're still going to handle money. You, you can be married and not have children and you're still going to handle money. And so the stats are overwhelming that we're not doing a good job in our, in our culture. And so, uh, so I just want to walk through this parable this morning about experiencing true uh, financial peace and discover uh, some of the wisdom of Jesus and how it relates from God's perspective where it's not about success, nothing wrong with being successful, but it's ultimately about faithfulness, all right? So let's look at Luke chapter 16 uh, in this parable. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 down through verse 13. This is often called the parable of the unjust steward, and steward is just a Bible word that means manager, okay? So the parable of the unjust steward. Verse 1, he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. And so he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what am I going to do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and, and I'm ashamed to beg. In other words, I'm, I'm getting ready to be out of a job, and I'm not going to beg for money, and I, and I don't want to dig ditches, right? That's what he's saying. And so he kind of comes up with this plan, uh, beginning in verse 4. He says, I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. And so he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And so he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. 
And so the master commended the unjust steward. Now, listen, this is fascinating. Verse 8 is fascinating because here's what this guy's doing. This guy knows he's out of a job, and so he says, uh, listen, I've only got a little bit of time left, and so I'm at least going to get something because in just a little while, I'm not going to get anything. And so he's kind of handling the the master's money in an unjust, uh, dishonest kind of a way, right? He's making side deals is is what he's doing here. And this is fascinating. Look at what verse 8 says. And so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light verse 9 i say to you make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon that when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home and so so verses 1 through 8 jesus kind of spinning this parable out you know verse 7 everybody's like oh it's terrible it's terrible it's terrible verse 8 he says actually i'm kind of proud of this dude right and then in verse 9 he says so so here's what i want you to learn from verses 1 through 8 so these are kind of the principles we're going to walk through this morning and i said you make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon mammon is just another word for money that when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much therefore if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon who will commit to your trust the true riches and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's who will give you what is your own no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon or God and money some of your uh, translations would say so so this is a parable when you when you're studying and you read what other people have taught and what commentators have said it's caused them a a lot of grief some of the commentators I read this week even said this is the most difficult parable in all of Luke not because it's hard to understand but we can't reconcile why in the world is a crook getting praised and, and the reality is simply what he's saying here is you can learn some great principles from a bad example and so verses 1 through 7 he says this guy's a crook he's lazy he's dishonest and then in verse 8 he says but actually he was kind of shrewd and so he should uh you know the children of this of this world are sometimes even more shrewd than the children of light and so as a result of his bad example here are some good things i want to teach you from that bad example verses 9 through 13 that we'll look at uh, this morning so i want to walk you through four principles this morning about what wise and when i say wise i mean faithful financial stewards or money managers do okay and so walking through this parable here's what jesus is teaching number one uh, wise money managers invest with eternal perspective they invest with eternal uh, perspective in order to understand the truth of verse nine and the power of it we we look at verse eight Uh, look at it with me again the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light and so we, we look at that and and you think what in the world's commendable like this guy's making side deals his total motive is hey you you've been unfaithful you've been a bad steward and so you're getting ready to be out about a job and you and you don't want to beg because you're you're proud and you're too lazy to go out and do manual labor and so what in the world is commendable that this guy's actions he's out here on the side going hey listen you owe a hundred i'll take 50 today right like it's liquidation sale you owe a hundred wheat right like i'll take 80 this guy's making back alley deals and all of a sudden he comes out and goes man this guy is incredibly shrewd and so what in the world would Jesus commend uh, if that? And so uh, what's the alternative when we look at that, those kinds of things? Look at verse 9. Here's what Jesus says. He says, and I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon that when you, uh, you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Listen, here's what was being commended in this guy's actions. What he was saying is this guy had a, had a little bit of time. 
And he had a little bit of resources, and he took that little bit of time that he had and that little bit of resource that he had, and he made the best of it with his eye on the future. He said he took whatever little bit of time and little bit of resources that he had, and he made the best of it with an eye towards the future. So, so what is Jesus calling us to do? Here's what the Bible describes your life. It talks about your life as a mist. It talks about it as a puff of smoke. It talks about it as a blade of grass. It describes your life as a vapor. This week, uh, all throughout Facebook, the last two weeks, I uh, see people's kids going to school, right? And I look at their kids, and I look at my kid, and I'm thinking, I'm getting older, right? Now, I particularly am like a fine wine. I get better with age. But I looked at some folks, and I thought, how in the world are their kids this old? How in the world is this going on? And, I, and I, I appreciate this now a little more as, as you get, your kids start to get a little older. How many of you at some point in time, someone older than you told you when your kids were preschoolers and they're wiping poop on the walls and all that stuff, right? Is that just my house? Like someone told you, enjoy this, and you're like, what? I, listen, I'm just trying to survive. Like when you put a preschooler to bed, you're not, it's, it's a, it is a terrorist negotiation. And someone told you, enjoy it. Listen, someone told me that yesterday. Oh, you've been enjoying it. They're so little and they're so cute and they're seeing all these things. And it's going to go by so fast. And some of you are sitting here thinking, you're a little older than me. Some of you are a lot older than me. And you're thinking, you have no idea. You have no idea how fast it has gone by. And the Bible describes life that way. And so, so what does he teach you? You're saying, hey, listen. In comparison of eternity, you've got a little bit of time on this earth. And for some people, it may be 30, 40 years. For some people, it may be 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Listen, whatever it is, what, what, in light of eternity, he's saying, you've got a, a little bit of time. You're like the guy in this story where the owner came and said, hey, listen, bro, uh, you've not been a good steward. You've only got a little bit of time left. And so you and I are just like that person in that we only have a little bit of time to make a difference for the sake of eternity. Now, here's the reality. You also, not only do you have a little bit of time like this guy, you also, just like this guy, you have a little bit of resources. And what he's saying is if you take the little bit of time you have and the little bit of resources you have and you live and give and spend and manage your money as if this were the only world you'll ever live in, then you're, you're not very shrewd and with your money. You should be like this guy that even though he was dishonest, he took the little bit of time he had and the little bit of resources he had and he looked towards the future and he made a difference for the future. And what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you've got a little bit of time and you've got a little bit of resources in light of eternity and I'll have all of God's wealth and so be shrewd and don't just live and give and manage your money as if this world were the only thing do it in such a way that you invest in eternity that way verse 9 says when you get to heaven someone will walk up to you and say thank you because you invested in that ministry or in that church, uh, they, they sent the gospel to me and those people discipled me and then I won other people to Christ and God used you and your generosity and the little bit of time you had and the little bit of resource you had, but you invested. You didn't just live for the here and now. You planned for the future. Thank you. Thank you. Because of that, I'm in heaven today. And so... Uh, he says this in verse 9. He says, you should use your money to gain friends who will welcome you into eternal 
dwellings. And so let me make this as plain as possible. Jesus is saying that we should use our money to make sure that people can get to heaven. So, so here, here's a question this morning. Some of you are financial planners. And you've heard me ask this question before. Some of you got financial plans, and uh, some of you are, are, hate the fact that the person you're, uh, you're married to has a financial plan, because every time you want to go off the plan, they remind you, we've we got a plan here, right? They're nerds. You're a free spirit. And some of you got a five-year plan with your money, and some of you got a 10-year plan, and some of you got like a retirement plan, so some of you that's all way off, and you know, those kinds of things. Listen, what Jesus is saying, hey, 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 listen, it's not enough to have a five-year plan financially or a 10-year plan. Jesus says you should have a hundred-year plan financially. And some of you are thinking, I do. My kids are going to inherit all my debt. Amen? And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, don't, don't, don't just live for the here and now. You're just like this guy. You get a little bit of time and a little bit of resources. And so use it to invest in eternity. Why? So that when you get to heaven, verse 9, people will welcome you into eternal dwellings. And so the wise, faithful financial steward invests in eternity. They give not with a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. They, they give with a hundred-year plan in mind because they've only got a little bit of time and a little bit of money. And to live otherwise, as if this was the only here and now, is not to live in a shrewd kind of way. Now, when I think of shrewd, the connotation uh, sometimes is you know, dishonest or ripping people off or those kind of things. Webster defines shrewd as this way, clever, discerning awareness, uh, practical, uh, wise judgment. And so what he's saying is this guy in verse 8, yeah, he was shady, he was doing some back, you know, back alley deals. But the reality is at least he was looking for the future. And that's better sometimes than Christians uh, do when it comes to our little bit of time and our little bit of resources. And so the faithful financial steward is always uh, looking to invest in the sake of the gospel with their little bit of time and little resources that he have. And he's saying it's so profitable. It's so profitable that it produces returns far greater than any other IRA you will ever invest in. And so the first thing he says is the wise financial steward is investing in eternity with a little bit of time, a little bit of resources that they have. They're not just living as if this was all there was as the here and now. Second thing he says in this parable that he teaches, uh, secondly is this, is that the wise uh, financial steward, the wise money manager, embraces that handling money is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Uh, Let me back up and, and read verse 10. Look at verse 10. What's he say here? He says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful uh, also in much. And so what's he describing, the faithful in least? In a lot of the context of this passage, he's clearly talking about worldly possessions or worldly wealth. He says, uh, listen, it doesn't matter if you've got a lot or you've got a little or you've got a whole lot. He says, in light of God's wealth, the God who owns a cat on a thousand hills, right? In light of all of that, he says, in comparison of God's resources and everything under God's dominion, your worldly wealth, even if it's a lot by the world's standards, he says, it is so little in comparison to the Father's resources and riches in heaven. And what he's saying there is this. uh, He's saying that if you measure that against the backdrop of eternity, it's very, uh, very little from God's perspective. Now, before we get to verse 11, which teaches the principle, I want you to skip down to a verse we didn't read. Uh, Actually, in verse 14, uh, the the reality is is, you're going to see something here. Verse 14 says this. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. You know what the Pharisees were? They were the original televangelists. Did, Did you know that? You can write that in your Bible, right? They were so strict, 
They were so, they, they just, they could not help but measure their spirituality against someone else. They had long lists of, yeah, here's what the Bible teaches, but here's all these other ceremonial laws that we're going to go around enforcing these kinds of things. And by the way, not only are we holy, we're totally in love with money. Right? They're like the guys you see on TV. And so, uh, so, the, so Jesus is teaching this, and verse 14 says, they derided him. They, they just, they pushed back really hard. They begin to challenge him and say, you know what? Uh, listen, our money and our spirituality are, are not connected, so don't try and connect the dots here. Now, aren't you glad that in our advanced society, no one argues about that anymore, amen? Like we're totally past that argument, right? Unfortunately, that's not the case. And so the Pharisees begin to argue with him about this. And so Jesus says, listen, not only are your, the way you handle your money and, the, and your faith connected, he says, as a matter of fact, it is so intertwined that Jesus said it's actually a litmus test. He says, depending on how a person handles their resource and a little bit of time and a little bit of money they have while they're here on the earth is actually the litmus test to look at to see if they can be uh, responsible with, with spiritual responsibilities. You say, where's that at in the Bible? Because that, that, listen, that, 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 that's heavy. That's, that, that's incredibly heavy. And so for some of you, like, like you, you, don't, you don't like that. Because you've tried very, very hard to keep your faith and your, your finances separate. Like, th- this is my walk with Jesus, and this is my business plan, and these things are not together. This is my spiritual life. This is my business life. And so that's what the Pharisees were saying. Hey, listen, we can be incredibly, you know, wealthy at the, at the sake of excess and, and you know, uh, t- taking advantage of other people. But that doesn't mean that we're still not the most spiritual people walking on the earth. And Jesus said, you're so far off. And they were furious. That they were, they were just livid that he, would, that he would connect those two things. And can I just tell you this morning that there are some people in the room who are just as mad today as they were 2,000 years ago. Like, I, you've worked so hard to, to keep those things separate, and you've said, hey, listen, my, you know, my spiritual life is going fantastic, but my financial life is totally jacked up. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. Those things are intertwined. And every time that someone teaches or says that or preaches against that, you just have this thing going on inside of you, like, just, I don't like that. I don't like that. And so Jesus just said, hey, guys, l- l- let me just, let me just uh, draw a clear line in the sand uh, about this. Look at verse 11. What's he say here? He says, therefore, if you've not been faithful in, in unrighteous money, therefore, this little thing, remember verse 10, he describes worldly wealth and our possessions as, as, as little. You may have a whole lot compared to your neighbor, but from God's economy, it, it's so, so small. He says, therefore, whoever's not been faithful in this small thing, how they handle the money, what, what's he say in verse 11? He says, they've not been uh, faithful in the unrighteous money. Who will commit to your trust the, the true riches? Do, do you see what he's saying there? And so what Jesus is saying, listen, the only way with integrity that we can make the argument that our faith and our finances are not connected is to tear verse 11 out of the Bible. Some of you are like, done, right? Jesus said, matter of fact, it, it is, they are so intertwined. It is so intertwined that, that when I can't hand, uh, trust someone with, like, to manage the little bit of resources they have, that, then that's also a person who's not in a place to manage a whole lot. Well, what's a whole lot? It's all the resources of the kingdom. It's all the spiritual opportunities that God wants to pour in your life. It's all the eternal responsibility God wants to use you for while you're here on earth. And so Jesus said, hey, listen, the guy who's slow in paying his bills and those kinds of things, he's also sometimes the guy who's slow in obedience. The guy who's incredibly generous is the guy who's also giving away the kingdom resources. 
And so the faithful financial steward recognizes that the way we handle our money is a spiritual issue. So clear in verse 11. Jesus connects me. He says, it is a litmus test. I have a guilty confession to make this morning. Uh, I've invested countless hours into watching documentaries about the lives of those who have won the lottery. Listen, if you want to go home today, if I go home today and there's a few different shows on, I can, my whole afternoon's done. If Jaws is on, I'm in front of the TV. Amen? If Shawshank Redemption is on, I'm in front of the TV. If Stand By Me is on, I'm in front of the TV and I'm weeping. If a documentary comes on about uh, someone who won the lottery, I'm done. Like, I'm hooked, right? And I just think, and so uh, they, they just, it's incredible. They, they win this money, and it's just this huge sudden windfall, and, and, it, and it ruins them. And some of you are thinking, just try me, God. I won't let you down, right? You can trust me. And we see shows like that. We say, you know what? They got all this money, and, and here's what we say in our culture, and that money changed them. Can, can I just tell you, that is not true. That money does not change a person's character. It just magnifies it. It doesn't change a person's character. It reveals it. If a person is incredibly generous and they're, they're trying to bless other people and they're a person of little means, and all of a sudden they get this financial windfall, all of a sudden they, they just have more opportunities to be generous. They're just blessing other people all the way around. Matter of fact, when you watch that show, some of the people got all this money and they were so generous as a person, they, they ended up within a year to- totally destitute because they just helped everyone who had a need around them. If a person is greedy and they just hoard it up and all of a sudden they get lots more money, they just tighten their grip even more. Uh, if a person is materialistic, and, and they, but they don't have a means to accomplish, to live out that vision, then all of a sudden they get all this money and all of a sudden they've got now a vehicle to make their dream a reality. And so money doesn't change our character, it reveals it. And what Jesus is saying in verse 11 is the person who handles money faithfully is a person who has character that can be trusted with the true spiritual treasure of kingdom responsibility and I just say this morning it doesn't get any heavier than that and so verse 11 says the wise faithful steward Jesus said hey here's a bad example verses 1 through 7 but here's some good things you can learn the first thing is uh, a wise steward invests in eternity secondly a wise steward recognizes there is a direct link between handling my finances and my walk with Jesus here's the third thing that a faithful wise steward recognizes number three uh, the wise steward money manager recognizes the difference between an owner and and a steward now listen to me this morning this is if you could just say hey listen you've you've do uh you taught a lot of financial bible studies did a lot of financial counseling for people Uh, other churches actually pay me to come to their church and consult with them about their finances and so so i've been around finances a whole lot Right? And so, so church finances, personal finances, all the above. And if you just said, hey, listen, in all of your experience and all the things you've learned, tell me the single most important principle. Like, like, like Jim, just give me one thing that I should hang all the hooks on. This would be it. This is the single most important biblical truth as it relates to faith and finances. The difference between an owner and a steward. Look at verse 12. What's he say? And if you have not been faithful... In what is, here it is, another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to to the steward. He's describing uh, the example. The steward of this story is is an incredible, like we think this guy didn't, like the owner's the powerful one, right? 
Listen, the steward, the manager, the guy who didn't own it but who ran the whole deal, he had incredible power. Uh, He had the ability to hire and fire. He had the ability to set salaries. Uh, He had the ability to negotiate deals on behalf of the owner. Uh, He had uh, managed the entire state. He had incredible power, power to do things wisely, power to do things foolishly, and ruin the owner's empire. And so therefore, the single most important characteristic of the steward is that he was faithful. He was faithful. And so when the steward from this story, who who is it? It, it's, It's you and I. And the owner is God in this story. And the reality is simply this. We, we, don't, we don't own anything. And some of you are living with the illusion that you own stuff. And listen, I can, I can prove it really quickly. You don't own anything as evidenced by the fact that you're not taking it with you. Because if it's yours and it belongs to you, then you're taking it with you. Listen, I preach lots of funerals. I've never seen a U-Haul hooked up to a hearse in all my time, all right? But if you own and it's yours, you get to take it with you, Right? But you're just living with the illusion of an owner because it's not yours as evidenced by the fact that you don't get to take it with you. you know, there's all, sometimes there's studies out and it talks about the, you know, the, the highest uh, crime zip code in the country and it'll you know, give these zip codes. Sometimes it'll talk about the wealthiest zip codes in America and there's studies and all these kind of things. Listen, let me give you a little uh, research here this morning. Do you know where you'll find the most generous people in all the world? The most generous people you will ever find will be found in your local cemetery. Because every person buried there gave every dime they had away at the point of their death. And so some of you are fighting generosity. Listen, you're going to lose that fight. Because one day, whether you want to or not, you're going to give it all away. And your kids are going to blow it unwisely. Doesn't that make you feel good, right? The most generous people you'll ever find are found in the local cemetery. So there's no honor in being the richest person in the graveyard. I learned this uh, this week, and I, I actually did a research and verified it true. Do you know this? That sometimes I remember when I first entered the ministry, uh, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm excited to preach, and I want to lead the church and those kinds of things, but, but I don't want to do any funerals. Because it just makes, I just, you know, I'm just, it just, I don't, I'm uncomfortable. And people are emotional, and I'm not an emotional guy, but sometimes at funerals, I get emotional, and I'm just not doing any funerals. And so like dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals later, uh, I've been around a lot of funerals. And I've gotten a lot of funeral home guys. Listen, I've got some crazy stories. Uh, you know, buy me lunch, and I'll tell you one time, okay? But one of the things, did you know this? That sometimes that when a funeral home does a funeral for a person who has very little financial means, often they, they don't have a proper, uh, proper burial outfit. And so one of the services that a funeral home provides is that they're called upon to provide burial suits for people who don't have the means and they want to bury them, you know, honor them. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you know this? This is a fact, that those suits that they provide for them free, free of charge as a part of their ministry, they don't have any pockets. You know why? Because they don't need any pockets. You know why? Because they gave everything away. Everything. Why? Because they weren't owners. They were managers. And some of them managed well, some didn't manage well. But listen, they're not owners. Why? They didn't take it with them. And so not only do we have to reconcile the fact that you and I are not owners, we're we're just managers. Uh, Here's also the command that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians 4 2. It is required of stewards or managers that one be found trustworthy or faithful. Now, listen, if you got a hold of this principle that, that, listen, God's the owner and I'm just the manager. God's the owner and I'm just the manager. God's the owner and I'm just the manager. Listen, it would revolutionize your whole financial life. 
Uh, some of you would revolutionize your, your, your generosity. You, you, you wouldn't spend any more time talking about percentages and Old Testament, New Testament, all those kinds of things. Why? Because here's what happens when a person embraces this. Listen, they're no longer saying, how much do I have to give? They're now going to the owner and saying, listen, it's all yours. How much do you want me to keep? You, you see the difference in that? Like, I'm no longer arguing about percentages and covenants and all that, about, about how much do I, do I have to give, that when I make this transition, I'm now saying, listen, it's all yours. How much do you want me to keep? When's the last time you prayed and asked God, God, it's all yours. How much do you want me to keep? If you've got a hold of this uh, principle and recognize that, listen, I'm not the owner, I'm just the, the manager, then all of a sudden, you, you, you would be a little more cautious about going into unwise debt. Now listen, debt is not a sin. I've had people say, but the Bible says, you know, don't owe man anything except love. That's totally out of context in Romans chapter 13. And it's interesting, I've always asked those people, so did you buy your house cash? Well, uh, no, uh, you know, right? So the, the Bible doesn't call debt a sin, but it does give some warnings about it. And I might heed those warnings if I recognize, whoa, this isn't mine. This is somebody else's. And in the light of that, I'm going to be a little more careful about that. If you, would, if you recognize that you're just the, the manager and someone else is the owner, you may keep better track of where it goes instead of wondering uh, where it went. Now, now, now listen, though. let me help illustrate this this morning. Think about this way. If at the end of the service today, if I called you into the office and I said, hey, um, our safe will not open and I really need you to take the offering money home and keep it overnight until the bank opens in the morning because I don't want that much money left out in the church office and so, so I want you to take the offering money and I want you to take it home and I want you to take care of it until tomorrow now some of you it would make you a nervous wreck some of you would go to the boat amen Black nine for Jesus, right? Like, I'm going to double the offering. What if I told you, I said, hey, listen, um, you have my permission to spend a little bit of that. I mean, that's what my family does. We need to go to lunch. We just get money out of the offering, amen? Like, they just, was that too transparent? Would I share too much today? We're going to Sizzler, amen? All right, so, so I just say, hey, listen, you, I'm the, I'm the pastor, and you, for taking this home, uh, you, can have, like, like, you can have some. Now, now and some of you are like, hey, this is great. Been given for a long time. Get a little something back. Right? Great. Would you spend it all on yourself? Or would you think, this, this is the offering. I, like, I need to, what would Jesus do? Right? Look at your bracelet. Like, what? Right? Like, this is Jesus' money, and so I better do something that Jesus would do because I don't want to spend it all on myself. Now, some of you, most of you would not take the money because it would make you a nervous wreck. Some of you would go to the boat. I just want to acknowledge that today, all right? But most wouldn't take it. And if you did take it, you'd be so guard, so careful. Offering. So what's the point? If you would handle the offering money different than you handle your own money, you have yet to realize that the offering money is no less God's money than the money in your pocket this morning. Can't say amen. You ought to say ouch, all right? That, that's, the, that's the shift in mindset that causes me to be faithful. Not, not, listen, nothing wrong with being successful. I hope you're incredibly successful. Most of the people in the Bible were incredibly successful. 
But that's not the bullseye. The bullseye is to be found uh, faithful. And so many times we, we act like owners and we're not. We're not. We don't, we don't have financial peace because we're playing by our own rules. Because when I'm the owner, I get to make the rules. You know, I have a conversation in my house. My two older kids have, have cell phones. And sometimes we'll have this conversation. Dad, did you take my cell phone? And whether I did or not, the answer is the same. No, I did not take your cell phone. It may be on my desk. It may be, I may have it in my hand. But I have never taken their cell phone. Do you know why? They don't have a cell phone. I own those phones and I pay for those phones and I let them use my cell phone. Can I get an amen? amen. Woo! Right? It feels good to bully around a 12-year-old. <laughs> you... That's been pent up for quite some time. I even tell that to Tosh. Where's my phone at? That's my phone. I pay the bill. Can I have it back? Right? Like, that's how that really goes. Listen, listen. Like, we lie. Like, you get aggravated your kids. Like, you don't have, that's my phone. I let you use my phone. You don't have a phone. Can I just say, I think that sometimes God's looking down at us, and we're arguing about what we should do, you know, save and get, like, like all that stuff related to money, and God's going, you don't have anything. That's mine. That's all my, I let you enjoy it. And so, recognize that. Well, we're, we're almost, we're totally out of time. So, let me hit this really quick. Uh, the, lastly, the financial steward is honest about the temptation money contains. Look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and uh, money. And so, here's reality. Uh, let me just give you some words of warning, because we're, we're totally out of time. So, let me hit these really quick. Uh, some words of warning that maybe money has. Listen, nothing wrong with having money. You'll never hear me teach that. Nothing wrong with having money. Nothing wrong with having lots of money. It's when your money has you. And so what he's saying is you, you can't serve two masters. So let me give you some warning signs that money's become too important in your life, and then we'll wrap it up. Number one, your greatest anxiety is connected to money. Your greatest anxiety is connected to money. Number two, you're never satisfied. Heard a lady give testimony one time. She said, we've always had nice things in our house. And every time that my husband got a raise or a bonus, all of a sudden all these nice things became junky things. And I gave them all away and I bought all new stuff every single year with my husband's bonus. Never satisfied. Number three, you put possessions ahead of people. Listen, if you've got broken relationships in your life over money, then money's simply too important. Broken relationships. So how do we guard ourselves against greed? Let me give you two guide, guide rails. Listen. These are got we built a house four years ago. I was a nervous wreck. Like, should we do that? You know, is it, is it okay? I mean, does, you know, like, does Jesus love people that love granite? Like, you know, you can wrestle through all that stuff, right? You know, could we, you know, if we, if we don't put an indoor plumbing, could we, could we give more to missions? I mean, there's all the stuff that we're wrestling through as a pastor, right? So they'll give you some guardrails. Number one, do you have to lower your generosity or compromise your integrity to obtain it? That, that, that's a good question. Do I have to lower my generosity or compromise my integrity to obtain, fill in like whatever it is, some material thing, okay? Because God gives us all good, good gifts to enjoy, but we don't want those things to become our idols. So guardrail number one. Guardrail number two, do you have extreme anxiety or neglect of your family to maintain it? So do I have to lower my generosity or compromise my integrity to obtain it? Do I have extreme anxiety or neglect of your family to maintain it? In other words, I've got to work so much I don't see my family, or every time the payment comes due, it just, uh, there's so much anxiety. Listen, get rid of it. Get rid of it. 
Now, here's the deal. We're done. I've said that five times, right? Let me just say this. We have never, ever, 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 since being in this building, been in better financial shape than we are right now. We're going to go over budget again, probably by six figures for the fifth year in a row. We've got more money in the bank than we've ever had. The debt's the lowest it's ever been. People on staff are making a sinful amount of money. Let me just, like, all the right, like... So, so, so why would I teach a parable if things are going so well financially? Because what I taught today is not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. I, I, listen, I don't want you to give the end of your life an eternity and realize that you spent all your life climbing the ladder and the ladder was propped up against the wrong wall. The greatest TV game show ever produced was called Let's Make a Deal. If you don't believe that, you're not going to heaven. You know, the thesis of the story, like, had these things, and I'm going, is it okay if I go over a couple minutes today? Yeah, totally rhetorical. <laughs> and so let's make a deal, right? Like, they had this, you had, here's this thing, you can have this, but behind door number three, right? And, it's all, like, and so, so one, you know, they've got this possession, and they're not sure what's behind door number three. It could be a new car. Listen, it could be a chicken with a terrible case of hemorrhoids. I mean, it could be something, or something like that in general, right? And they're just like, this, you know, do I... Do I, do, do I trade it? Do I, do I give away this to obtain something else? Can, can, I, can I just tell you this? Some of you are handling your money like you're not for sure that what God has behind the curtain of eternity is more rewarding than what you've got in your hand right now. It, so, so let me just encourage you this morning. Listen, eye has not seen and ear has not heard the things prepared in eternity for us. And listen, our God never disappoints. And that day you will want to give away everything you cannot keep to gain eternal riches you cannot lose. That's what I want for you because that's when you finally achieve, from God's perspective, financial peace. Would you bow your heads this morning? This morning, if you're here, listen to the greatest act of generosity was that Jesus Christ gave his life as payment for your sins it is a free gift and to receive Jesus Christ this morning the greatest gift ever if you'll come before the Father if you'll acknowledge your sins confess them and receive Jesus Christ by faith God will save you today God will take all of your sin debt and wipe it clean God will forgive your past sins, your present sins, even your future sin that's the greatest financial generosity transaction in the history of the world you can take all your sin debt you brought here this morning and give it to God and in return you get forgiveness you get a fresh clean start with Jesus an eternal life what could be better and so if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I believe that today is that day you're not here by accident and so right in your seat this morning would you just pray and say God I confess that I'm a sinner I want to turn from my sins and I want to follow Jesus I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior today the Bible says if you've done that today, you begin a new relationship. You've been born again. 
many of you made that decision a long time ago, but you've, if you're honest this morning, there's been a, you've been living with a disconnect between your faith and your finances. Or maybe you've been spent all of your time and energy trying to be successful. And you realize today that at the end of the day, what God wants is, is for you to be faithful. And so for many of you today, today's the day to take every area of your life, including a little bit of time you have and a little bit of resource you have, and to move that under the Lordship of Jesus Christ today. And I know that's scary. And I know sometimes we don't know what's behind the curtain. But can I just tell you this morning, our God never disappoints. Never. Father, I pray this morning for those who need to receive Jesus Christ, for those who said, hey, when you walk through that prayer today, I pray to receive Jesus Christ today. God, I pray they would realize today that it's just the beginning of a new walk. It's not the end, it's just the beginning. God, I pray for the rest of the room and the majority of the room. God, that today they, they would walk out of here defeated, guilty. God, they'd walk out of here with a new resolve to honor Jesus Christ in every area of their life. And God, wherever they failed in handling the little resources they have, God, if they'll confess that this morning, grace is available. Where sin is abounded, grace abounds much more. And so, God, I pray they walk out of here today forgiven and resolved to make Jesus Lord of their life in every single area. And so, God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your sacrifice. We're grateful that the Bible is so practical that you've not left us here to guess. You've given us your word as a guide. And so we say thank you. And it's all because of the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.